0: Welcome, this is Barry Baines from Baines Law, a legal miscellany where we regularly podcast about cases and legal issues, as well as talking to professionals and others who have experience of our legal system. So a very warm welcome today to Maurice McSweeney, and thank you, Maurice, so much for agreeing to talk to us. Uh, you have a very interesting background. You were a Choral Scholar at King's College, Cambridge. where You achieved a BA in English and Law, and you're fully proficient in French as well as speaking Italian. When we first met around 12 years ago, you were Director of Business Development at Two Hair Court, the prestigious barristers chambers and from there you moved to another significant set at doughty street what led you to your current role as director of litigation funding at harbour litigation
1: funding limited half oh, years barry a long time um so look i mean i think it, it, it's been a really interesting decade i suppose also for litigation funding i had come across harbour and susan dunn who set up the business um, was one of the co-founders and he at the time was funding tax tribunal cases that Two Hair Court were doing. And um, it was very early days for litigation funding at that point, but I'd kept, I kept—I just thought it was an interesting concept and I had kept an eye on it um, ever since then. So I'd been with barristers for about 10 years and then there was just, I got a call about something which was rather similar. And a lot of what I was doing at da- Downs Street and Two Hair Court before that was talking to solicitors you know, investigating what they had by way of cases, what their needs might be in terms of barristers. And so I suppose with funding, it was a similar conversation where you'd go to solicitors talking about their caseload and seeing what their needs were in terms of funding uh, and what their clients needs were. So I guess it was the same conversation. But instead of talking about barristers, we were talking about money, talking about uh, financing. And uh, arguably, that was a more welcome conversation for some solicitors to have. So um so yeah I mean it's it's broadly similar what I do now but the subject matter is is slightly different.
0: So for those who are not ther- uh, thoroughly familiar with the terms I wonder if you could start by explaining what litigation funding is. I mean it is
1: fairly simple actually um I mean it, it, in essence a litigation funder is it's an asset management company so we invest in the outcome of a piece of litigation or arbitration and I think in reality the day to day of it is pretty simple you know we We'll pay all the costs of a dispute, so that will be lawyers' fees, disbursements, you know, for barristers, expert witnesses, ATE insurance. Insurance, importantly, so that protects against adverse costs if things don't go well in the case. Um, so, so, you know, we'll we'll pay all of those costs until a case concludes either with a settlement or um, by going to trial and then if that case wins at trial or it settles and importantly only if you actually manage to get some money back from the other side then we as the investor in the case as the funder will receive a pre-agreed share of the outcome and so that for us is the return on our investment. I suppose where litigation funding is different from something like a bank loan is that if the case is unsuccessful then it's the funder that bears that loss so it's non-recourse funding and that means you know that the the claimant in the case doesn't have to pay whether or not the case wins or loses and we as the investor we as the funder are taking that risk and so if the case loses it's our problem it's our loss so i suppose you know because you're, you're you know there's a return for an investor. Funding is best suited, really, to these sorts of commercial claims for damages, where you're pursuing some pot of money. Can provide something for defendants, but that is more difficult. Pursuing a pot of money for a defendant, you're saving costs. It's about not having to pay over money. You might pay five million rather than fifty million in damages, and so that's what you're doing there. So. The reason it doesn't work for defendants is that it can be quite difficult to define what success is for a defendant. But, you know, it's most commonly used, I suppose, for, you know, for those claimants who are bringing some sort of claim for damages where there's a pot of money that the claimant will get. And then that pot of money can be shared with with their litigation funder.
0: Yes, I understand. So how did the professional funding industry come about Solicitors have been able to risk fees on a client case in exchange for a bonus on success for some time now. So, how is it the funders came on the scene?
1: I, I think it, it's really adding to what solicitors were beginning to be able to do. I mean, you know, if you go back, litigation funding was illegal until 1967, and there are these bit old doctrines of, of champerty and maintenance. And maintenance is just you know some sort of third-party funding of a case, and champerty is the same thing, but doing that for profit. So, you know, for understandable public policy reasons, then people were saying, well, you know, we don't want third parties to be funding a case and sharing the proceeds. But but I think that changed. You know, these are all sort of 14th century laws or something like that, so they're very old. But, um, but they were abolished as a crime in 1967 by a bit of legislation. I think it's really in the 90s then, you saw the introduction of things like conditional fee agreements. And that's really, you know, in a bid to try and help people access access justice get redress and so conditional fee agreements you had solicitors beginning to share in the risk of a case so there was that you know that is a form of litigation funding you know the solicitor is risking their fees but you know even though solicitors could risk their fees you you might still have a situation where a, a claimant isn't able to fund disbursements or adverse cost insurance so you begin to get um you know the, the emergence of 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 Companies like Harbour that can do that sort of thing. It's really, I suppose, for Rupert Jackson was a, a, at the time a High Court judge who was um, asked to look at the cost of litigating in the civil courts, and you know, their extraordinary cost. The UK has always been quite expensive litigating, it, but it was really expensive. And so he was then setting up. He was then setting up a, a review, and one of the things he recommended, uh, amongst many other very good reforms, one of the things he recommended was saying that you know, litigation funding should be a thing. Uh, And so I think it's really with those reforms in 2009, it it begins to, to really take off.
0: Yes, indeed. And you mentioned that's how Harbour came about. But what is Harbour's history? How have things changed over the years?
1: suppose we were one of the earliest people to emerge on that scene. So I mentioned Susan Dunn. She's been funding cases in one form or another since 2002. And then Harbour was set up by her and um, and uh, Martin Tomby, uh, who's now our CEO. So they uh, set up Harbour in 2007. And at the outset, it was really funding insolvency cases where you had you know, claims in an insolvent estate. But creditors might not want to pay more money. They might think it was good money after bad to fund an insolvency practitioner to pursue claims on behalf of the insolvent estate. Um, but that's what Harper started doing to provide um, that money and to take a share of um, successful claims. So that's really where it started. But I think it's kind of it's, quite, it's developed quite a lot in the time since 2007. So, you know, funding single cases, it went from insolvency to you know other forms of um, claims for damages. And now it's very broad. So single cases still are quite important. Uh, And the the advantage of doing that is that you can spread the risk. So, you know, with a single case, it either wins or loses. It's very binary. With a portfolio, the wins on the three successful cases might make up for losses on the two, if that makes sense. The other sorts of things we're doing now with funding, you can purchase um, a judgment or award. So if somebody has won a case, but... You know, a lot of companies uh, and indeed individuals might get litigation fatigue, you know, gruelling process litigating cases all the way to the end. And so you might get that award and it might be challenging to enforce it or it might be taking some time so we can purchase the case. That's another way in which we deploy our funding. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, and, and there's all sorts of steps you can take early on in order to, you know, minimise the risk of enforcement. But you may have a company that says, look, we don't want to wait for the outcome of the case, which could be many years away. We need to provide some value to shareholders now. And so we can also monetize a portion of the case where they say, okay, you know, we want to, the case is still ongoing, but we want to sell a 20% stake in the outcome. And so we can come up with a price and then they're able to realize some value from that litigation sooner rather than later. So I think it's it's really varied now. You know, there's lots of different ways in which people are using litigation funds. It's not just those single cases anymore. The other thing I suppose that I haven't mentioned is funding for law firms. And I think that's newer. So I was talking about law firms working on a conditional fee agreement, but I think we are seeing more firms now that are taking advantage of damages-based agreements. And there are these DBA regulations which govern that. For a long time, I think people have been nervous about it. law firms weren't sure about how enforceable or not they could be, but there's some good case law now supporting that. So I think firms are willing to do, willing to you know take more risk themselves. I think, to be honest, I think a lot of their clients are asking them to do that be a bit more flexible about uh, billing providing some sort of alternative fee structure a damages based agreement is really where a law firm is is working on a success fee it's very popular in the in the in the united states there's a lot of firms working on that base and it's, it's it's no win- no fee really on a big commercial scale and they'll say you know in exchange for running your case at no cost to you we'll take 25 percent or 30 percent of the outcome of the case but for the law firm you know that's an awful lot of debt awful lot of credit risk to have on your books and so you know funders are able to help with that now so I suppose that's one of the more recent interesting shifts is that it's not just funding for claimants it's funding for law firms themselves whereby you know we might pay a portion of their work in progress and we'll pay for all the disbursements in a case and then you know the law firm when the case is if the case is successful they'll share their success fee with the funders so it's much more varied than it used to be um, I think there's a lot more options available than there once were
0: Thanks, that's interesting. Maurice, how do you uh, source capital to invest in cases? Whose money are you spending?
1: Um, there's lots of people who say they'd rather um, we we're spending less money, or but you know it's, it's good to put this capital to work. So I guess all funders are different. I mean for Harbour, we raise our own capital from investors, from professional investors. That will be things like endowment funds, pension funds, that sort of investor community. And then the way it works for us, we raise closed-end funds, so we'll raise a pot of money a particular group of cases will deploy that money over a period of about three years or something like that four years and then there's another three or four years for for those cases to conclude and then you know, we provide returns to investors along the way and at the end. So we're on our fifth fund like that. So we raised the money and um, there are a number of investors who've been with us since day one. And so, you know, that's our kind of particular community. So we're raising our own money. Um, Other funders do different things. So others might take on debt. There's lots of funders that are supported by people like hedge funds, and they'll sit behind them and they'll, you know, um, they'll provide some sort of loan to a funder and they will the funder will then invest that money and try to provide a return i suppose you know the risk of that for for some litigation funders is that you know if the cases don't go well then you know the debt can be called in so i suppose you know if there are um if there are listeners do work with funders it's always it's a good question to ask you know where does your money come from? And I think importantly, the other question, I suppose, now that I think of it is is whether or not they leverage their fund, by which I mean, you know, they're promising the same amount of money to a number of different cases. And in normal circumstances, that may be fine because, uh, you know, the win on one case will provide enough money to pay the bills on a second case. But again, you know, if it doesn't go so well or you have a few losses, that that can be quite difficult to manage. So that's always a question to ask. We choose not to do that at Harbour. I think it provides a lower return for investors. But at the same time, I think we just rather make sure that, you know, if if a funded party, if a law firm or a client needs that money, then it's always there to um, it's always there, ready to go whenever they need it. As we all know, litigation is an uncertain thing. Unexpected things arise. So, you know, you need that money, I think, available.
0: Yes, certainly. Certainly nothing could be more uncertain than litigation. Uh, Keeping on the subject of of Harbour, are you able to tell us the approximate number of cases Harbour has funded? Who's using the funding? Is it just private clients who have difficulty in funding their fees or is it corporates?
1: Good question. How many have we funded? I think we've probably funded now something in the region of about 130, 140 cases. And, uh, you know, the average budget, I think, in our most recent fund was about nine or 10 million, something like that. So they they, they tend to be quite substantial cases. But I mean, there is quite a big attrition rate. So I think we've considered about 4000 cases, four and a half thousand cases, something like that. So, you know, only about three or 4% of cases that we look at are actually funded. And I think that's for a variety of reasons. Some just won't work. You know, they haven't got great merits. Other cases may be, you know, they might have good merits, but they're not investable for one reason or another. You know, you may be difficult to get the money back or it's a £5 million claim, but it's going to cost about £4 million to pursue it. So it's uneconomic. So there are reasons why cases may not be sued. So I think it definitely is a smaller number of cases. And I should say as well, you know, litigation funding with a third-party funder like Harbour It's one option, but it's not the only option for how to fund a case. There are lots of firms that will work on risk. You know, you can have insurance-backed products that help mitigate the risk, albeit with insurance, you still have to pay that premium up front. So it's one option, but not the only one. I mean, in terms of who's using funding, I think, yes, I mean, historically, it probably was just those who didn't have money to pursue a case, but that's very much, that's very much changed. So, you know, certainly there are there are some cases that you can't get off the ground without some sort of funding like this. And I guess the most recent example I can think of is the Hiscox Action Group. So you might remember, Barry, that there was, during the pandemic, there were small, uh, medium-sized businesses that had bought this business interruption insurance. Yes, I do. And they were making a claim against Hiscox and other insurers like that to, you know, get payouts to help their businesses survive. And the insurers were very reluctant to pay and they were saying, well, we won't pay because, you know, that's not... um you know that's not covered by the policy we couldn't envisage these sorts of things, and it went to the Supreme Court in a record you know something like six months, which is i th- i mean all of that case was a real testament to the English judiciary and the English legal system can really get on with things so so that moved very quickly, but there you had small and medium sized businesses that were on their knees and really needed some sort of assistance to get that case up and running they couldn't do, it couldn't be something they would fund themselves so you know you have those sorts of people where you know They haven't got the money to do it. But, you know, you do have big companies that are using it. And I think that's quite interesting, the reasons why they're doing that. So we have a case, one of the world's largest asset managers that we're funding now, they have particular buyers laws about their fund I mean they can't use investor funds for litigation, so they, you know, they can't use it. They have the money, but they can't use it for that purpose. But companies, if you think about companies, you know, litigation is it's a really uncertain business. It's uncertain in length, it's uncertain in cost, and that can be a challenging thing for a CFO to have, or a finance director to have hanging around their balance sheet. You know, you've got to be making provision for that. And so, a lot of companies say, look, we'd much rather spend our money on. Making widgets or whatever it is they do, whatever their core business is. Funding for them can be quite a useful tool to de risk, as we call it. And they can say, All right, well, look, a funder will pay the cost of it. So we can move all of that off our books. We don't have that hanging around our balance sheet. And then anything that comes in afterwards can be an exceptional item. So if we make any recoveries, then that ends up being a positive addition to the balance sheet. So there are those sorts of reasons that companies use. You know, even big companies that that can self-fund choose not to because, you know, there might be good accounting reasons for doing it. So it's quite a variety, I think.
0: Yes, I mean, I, I think you've explained the sort of cases you think are suitable for funding. What would be the minimum worth of such a case? And what does Harbour get out of it? So what's the price of litigation funding work, in other words?
1: Yeah, OK, well, well, that's a good point, I think, and it's kind of allied to the, the minimum value bit of your question as well. So I would say, I mean, it, it's not a hard and fast rule. You know, we, we, we sort of say it's difficult to fund an individual case for less than, that's, worth, that's worth less than £10 million. And that's not us being snobby about um, the size of the case. It's just the kind of economic reality of it. So um, what what you tend to find over the lifetime of a bit of litigation is that the costs go up and the claim value comes down. And so you have this bit in the middle that gets squeezed. So you know, there's a kind of base level of um, there's a base level of litigation costs. You know, the budget that's required to pursue a bit of litigation, and then what you want to do is obviously the lawyers and all the bills need to be paid. You then need to have enough in there for a return to be provided to Harbour to the investor, and then what we all really want is for the majority of that um, those damages to go to the claimant. You know, I think we always feel very uncomfortable if there's any prospect. That that harbour will be taking you know more than half the half the damages of a case you know what's the point in pursuing it it shouldn't just be an exercise for making money for the funder or the or the, the lawyers it's really it's still the client's case they've got to be taking the most of the uh, most of the damages so so we sort of say that 10 million thing pounds level for a single case i should say it, it definitely isn't a hard and fast rule and i mentioned things like portfolios where you have a group of claims, you know, if you're able to spread the risk more widely, then the the value of the claim can come down quite significantly. And firms, so there's one that we have, uh, which is about to be finalised, but that's to help a firm bring employment claims. And those are, you know, contractual disputes you know, which, which can be fairly low in value. The other example where you see funding used for low value claims is something like PPI type cases, with those sorts of high volume but low value claims. So there is some funding that can be provided for those sorts of cases. So it does vary, but I think for single big commercial cases, probably about 10 million. But, you know, it's one of those rules that's often more honoured in the breach than the observance.
0: You said it's not suitable for defendants, but apart from that, is there anything else you can't
1: invest in? I mean, it's a pretty broad church. And I think the terms that, uh, you know, the the, the kind of rules that we have with our investors is that it just needs to be something which relates in one way or another to a dispute. So it's quite deliberately drafted in those broad terms. I mean, you do find in some jurisdictions that funding is still illegal, uh, closer to home than you might think. So in the Republic of Ireland. That litigation funding is not permitted, even though there are lots of you know big commercial claims that happen there, and I think there's lots of conversations going on in Ireland about whether or not that may change. I mean, for for Harva, there are other things. I suppose it's not much we can't invest in, but we don't invest in and personal injury, clinical negligence, those sorts of cases, that we don't invest in and again that's not because they're not good cases but you know the damages in those uh, cases are really often required for they're often required for uh, you know a lifetime of care or something like that so we, yeah we don't want to be in a position Indeed, where we're yeah, you know, taking the money that somebody needs living comfortably after um <clears throat> after these sorts of life changing events the other thing that we don't do is matrimonial finance so big divorce cases they you know they're interesting cases where you might have a good offer of se- commercial offer of settlement on the table but Emotions run high in those sorts of cases, and so, you know, somebody may insist on going to trial to have their day in court rather than, you know, taking an offer. So um, those sorts of cases can be a bit challenging, so we don't do those. The other thing I suppose that, you know, we, we wouldn't invest in, there are some jurisdictions where, you know, you may need help of the local courts to enforce a judgment. So you might get a judgment in the English courts, but you need to go to a particular jurisdiction to enforce it and there are examples of funder back cases where for example they've had to go to the Middle East to enforce an order against the yacht and you know the local courts in the Middle East will say oh well you know we don't recognise that judgment so um, there are those jurisdictions where it may be difficult to enforce and we would maybe think twice about funding those sorts of
0: cases. So would it be correct for me to use uh, the expression that this is really about solid commercial funding?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. That's really where this is used most often. I mean, I think, you know, we really like looking at all sorts of cases, and we'll always try and make something work if we can. But in terms of, you know, what's most likely to um, to be approved by our investment committee, it probably is some big commercial claims for damages. And I think, you know, because we're, there are lots of really great cases out there, there's lots of good causes. But our business, like I said at the start, our business is vesting on behalf of professional investors we need to make a return and so you know it's it's good solid commercial claims rather than the, the more pioneering bits of litigation
0: uh, tell us morris about the onboarding process after you're approached for funding can harbor make quick decisions for example
1: so in terms of, of how we onboard a case like, i mean you know the first thing we'll do that, that there's four main criteria that we use and i think they probably are, are in order this order of importance so the first thing is recoverability i mean like we sort of talked about that that a bit already um but you know we're obsessed really with recovering at the very least the investment that we've made in the case you know we're, we're looking at the defendant it's not just that the defendant is good for the damages you know the the um you know if you're suing them for 100 million but they only have 10 well there's not much point in pursuing the, them for that you know big amount because you're never going to get hold of it um so it's not just that they're good for those damages but actually you can also make them pay so they're not for example in one of these curious jurisdictions that I mentioned, um, or you know, they're not all their assets aren't tied up in blind trust in Cyprus or something like that. So that recoverability thing is is a, a big important question for us. Economics I've touched on. I think we want to make sure that um, it's economic to bring the case that the ratio between the litigation budget and the claim value has enough space. For the claim value to come down and the cost to go up, as they almost inevitably will. One of the other things that we will look at: the team is really important to us. So we want to know that the legal team is 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 good for the for bringing these sorts of cases. They've got a good track record or success. Sometimes it's a new legal point, but generally we will want them at least to have brought similar cases to successful conclusion and then last but not least I mean it's it's probably last on our list it might be first on the list of the lawyers but the merits you know the case obviously needs to have good merits but and you know that's the first thing a lawyer will do but you know, again, we're looking at this from the perspective of being an investor, and so there are other factors at play. So yes, the case needs good merits, but but you know, a good case is not necessarily an investable case. So those are the criteria that will apply. Um, and then thereafter, if you know, what we always suggest as well is, you know, if people just pick up the phone and have a chat. Uh, we can pretty quickly tell whether or not something may be suitable for funding. You know, one of those criteria may not be applicable and, you know, you can knock out a case fairly quickly and then everyone has an early decision and they can, you know, decide what to do next. But if a case is suitable for funding, we'll probably want more detail. I think we'll probably ask the legal team It doesn't need to be counsel, but sometimes it is. Um, So either from counsel or from solicitors, you know, an advice on the merits, uh, you know, just to make sure you are actually going to be able to establish liability. You're supported in law to establish liability. And then we'll do some economic analysis. And then we put the case to our investment committee. So that's really part of my job, as well as sourcing new cases. I then work them up and an advocate for that case in front of our investment committee, which is always a tough process. They're very rigorous in how they analyse the case. Um, and our investment committee meets every two weeks. So on the investment committee, we've got three independent senior commercial QCs. There's some people from Harbour and then there's uh, independent finance people as well. So they will kick the tyres, rather does what they do a disservice. But you know what I mean? They'll um, they'll look at a case and analyse it. And if they think it's a good case, they'll recommend it to our board for investment. So yeah, there's a little process that we go through, which takes a little time, I guess. I mean, in terms of quick decisions. Yes, I think we have done one from initial phone call to a funding agreement in about 2 weeks now i mean that's pretty unusual that's a lot of um, people working very hard and, and not much sleep but you know it can be done i think that's the point point. and actually the um the hiscocks insurance case i mentioned is a good example of that where you know you just needed to move quickly so that can be done everything can be mobilized but i guess you know a, a 2 month period you know for all the kind of toing and froing would not be unusual and when you think about that you know from that initial phone call uh, you then you know you're getting the information you're going through the process and then there's a um you know you've got to finalize an investment agreement so the contract great. between the funder and the funded party so um yeah two weeks unusual two months probably may- maybe more usual and i think you know it takes a little time but you're also talking potentially about you know a contract that relates to us giving somebody you know millions of, of pounds uh, or dollars so Yeah, it's it's a rigorous process. But, you know, if it needs to move quickly, it can.
0: Well, there's a a degree of reassurance
1: in that, of course.
0: Uh, Litigation funding is, though, not without its critics, is it? Some people people say Uh, um, it encourages cases to be brought which have poor merits, or that you don't encourage settlement because you will get more money after a trial. Or or they say that funders take control of litigation if they fund it is there any of that fair
1: comment well i understand why people have those thoughts and i think if you if you sit back and look at them i suppose what you were saying that you know about poor merits i mean that's a really terrible business model for um for for an investor for a funder you know if 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 you're bringing it's not really ambulance chasing because you know we're not going to support cases that have a high risk of losing so i don't think that argument holds up you know the one that litigation funding brings a floodgate opens the floodgates the more more litigation, I think it's all about it's still going to be a really good case uh, I mean in terms of some of the other things you know with settlement I mean yes it probably is true I think that you know i I'm in terms of our pricing the pricing the return that an investor gets probably will increase over time so if a case settles within six months the cost of the funding will be much lower at that stage than it is after a trial and the reason for that is your capital is tied up for longer. So there is a value to money over time. And also there's much greater risk. You know, you might at the very outset of a case have an advice from counsel that says, I give this case a 65% chance of success. Well, by the time you've got to trial and you're in front of a judge, then in my view, at least it is, you know, the judge could go either way. And it is a very binary outcome. You win or you lose. So um, so the pricing increases over time, having said, you know, for that reason as well, you know, we, we do encourage settlement. What we really want is um, a case with great merits um, that's likely to settle early. You know, that is perfect for us. Whilst we will get, you know, less money if a case settles early than we would if it had concluded after trial, we'd rather have, you know, that money now than risk a a bigger sum, um, that taking a lot longer to conclude. So so I think we probably do encourage settlements more than people think. And in terms of control, this is something that corporates ask about a lot, actually. You know, they don't want to cede control of their case. They want to continue to use the same legal team. I mean, for these sorts of charity and maintenance reasons, actually, we can't take control. And our view is it's very much the client's case. So all the key decisions in a case, whether it's about settlement or, uh, you know, key decisions to make in the conduct of the litigation, all of that is still very much in the hands of the law firm uh, advising their clients so it's those people that really make the decision on the case now clearly we're interested in the progress of litigation and if there are discussions about settlement you know we'd really like to know about it but you know there is a sort of monthly conversation that goes on between us and the law firm but really you know we're not that involved on a day-to-day basis we like to be kept updated but um, we're not kind of exercising day-to-day control so uh, you know uh, I I mean I think anyone who has um, questions we'd always say look come and ask Come and ask about it, um, because um, you know we always love to. You know, if people have concerns about it, then we'd love to. Um, we'd love to try and you know address those and reassure them. But I think um, a lot of the a lot of the common questions you hear, uh, I think we you know don't do don't, um, don't don't really hold up.
0: In reality, of course, a lot of cases do settle before they get to court, don't they? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh no, there's a huge number, and I think I mean we're looking at an interesting data mitigation anal- litigation data analytics program. And um, it's very high proportion. So it's certainly certainly of commercial claims. I can't remember the exact percentage, but, you know, it is it is the majority of them that will settle. So um, so the number that actually go all the way to trial is fairly low. So finally, Morris, what do you think's next? How do
0: you see the funding world shaping up over the next year or two?
1: Interesting. I mean, I think we've sort of come out of a very strange time. Um, the funding industry is still quite young. I mean, in you know two thousand and seven, we were set up. I suppose that it's established itself. People are aware of it. But you know, it's become more trusted. But I think there is still a lot of potential for growth, and obviously that makes it an exciting place to work. I mentioned DBAs. There, I mean, there are these interesting cases about damages-based agreements that the High Court and the Court of Appeal have handed down this year. I'll dig out the links for you, Barry, and we can put them on the on the um, on the website. But I think you know, I think that is something we're going to see more of. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. You know. Clients in the midst of the pandemic were definitely asking law firms, "What can you do about billing? Can we, you know, have longer payment terms? Can you do something other than the hourly rate?" And the pandemic, the economic effects of the pandemic may be receding a bit, but I think that habit, you know, law firms still, um, clients still want law firms to offer something creative. By way of how they charge, so I think the fact that you know you have that client demand, you have the judges saying you know we think DBAs are enforceable, you know law firms don't need to be so worried about whether or not DBAs can be enforced. So I mean I think we'll see more of more use of those. I think that's great for litigants. You know the firm has a vested interest in the outcome of the case too. So if a law firm needs to put more fees in in order to win a case, actually that doesn't impact the client who has certainty as to what their share of the outcome will be. And they're still retaining most of the damages. I mean, I think if you're a, if you're a, a client and you can take seventy percent of the outcome of a case and not have any upfront cost, I mean, I think that's quite attractive for any client. So I think law firms are becoming more confident about using those sorts of things. And I guess the other sort of trend, I suppose, I you know, so so far as one can forecast trends, but I think linked to that is is you know these kind of the the, the increase or the the A more close relationship between law firms and uh, litigation funders. So, you know, I think firms now. So, you know, historically we would always fund the claimant in a case. That that would be the funded party. But you know, law firms themselves are taking that funding. I mean, I was talking about it earlier on. But you know, I think we'll see more of that where you know we'll pay some of the some of their work in progress will pay their disbursements and it means that even if the case wins or loses they can still pay their staff and pay the building so yeah so i mean helping law firms kind of defray risk in order for them to offer more creative options to their clients is something we'll probably see more of over the next um, year or two and then there are quite interesting things happening about stock market listings with law firms there's about half a dozen listed at the moment but i think um i mean maybe that's a, a subject for another day but i think we're seeing, I mean, we did a survey recently just to learn a little bit about what law firms' plans were post-pandemic, and um, there was a high number that were saying they were actually considering, 30% were actively considering um, listing on the stock market in the next 12 to 18 months, and there was a bigger percentage of people that you know were, were giving it some thought. But that was surprisingly high to us. And I think we'll see we'll see more listing activity. I think you know a lot of those those listed, there's only half a dozen, but those listed law firms did quite well in the pandemic. They held up quite well. And so I think investors are a bit more confident about law firms, you know, investing in in law firms as a safe bet. I think they've been tried and tested. So, you know, that investor confidence, um, firms wanting to be quite ambitious about um, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities post pandemic i think we'll see interesting things happening on the um, on the stock market
0: well thanks very much indeed morris that um very interesting overview of litigation funding is there any contact detail you'd like to leave for your firm before we sign off
1: yeah look well, i mean you know certainly very happy to talk to anyone i think we're easily google um harborlf.com or my phone number 020 3829 9349 but um find us on google and we've got a good website i think where we're trying to sort of set out you know we do see a lot of our job as being education letting people know what the potential is for funding so always very happy to talk to anyone i'll talk to any old barry as you know uh so yeah you know if anyone wants to know more we're very happy to have that conversation even just an informal chat on the phone so yeah if anyone wants to get in touch should be very happy to hear from me.
0: Thank you for listening to Baines Law. Listen out for future podcasts where we will continue to discuss issues of interest to the legal community. If there is a professional perspective that you would like to share, get in touch via our website at www.barrybaines.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Baines Law. We look forward to presenting to you again very soon on